Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In today's Gospel lesson from St. Matthew's account, we have heard a description of the kind of person Jesus is. We learn that our incarnate Lord is one who loves people. He enjoys being with them. He enjoys helping them. Matthew wrote this about his master. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus was not the sort of person to stay in one place and have the people come to him. He was out there, on the road. He traveled from one little village to another. He was almost always on the move. Our Lord had such a love for God's people that he did not expect them merely to travel to the temple in Jerusalem. He came to them. And that's the sort of God that we have. He doesn't wait for us to take the first step because he knows full well that we can't. We're dead in our trespasses. And not only do dead men tell no tales, they lay there lifeless, their sinful flesh rotting away, being consumed by the devil who constantly prowls, looking for someone to devour. But Jesus reaches out to our stone-cold bodies and our rock-hard hearts. And when Jesus reaches people, he always has something to do. He teaches them. He showed his love for the people of Judea and Galilee and, yes, even eventually Samaria by preaching the good news, the oi angelion. And even if you don't know Greek, you might be able to figure out what that word means just from your knowledge of English. That prefix eu, which means good, and the body of the word, which comes from angelios, message, the root from which our modern word angel is derived, a messenger of God. Therefore, we translate this word as good news or as the gospel. And just what is the gospel anyway? It is the good and wondrous message that God has come to you. Humans throughout history even when they might have been somewhat mistaken in their understanding, have believed that there is a being above us, a maker. Even today, with science theorizing all sorts of speculative ideas about the origins of the universe and of mankind, very few people truly believe that everything came about merely by accident or random chance. But in spite of all of our knowledge and our technology, in many ways, ancient people were far smarter than we are today. These ancients looked upon the world around them and all the complexity of nature, all its beauty and its strength. Then they looked at themselves and their weaknesses and their failures and they said, there must be a God out there. I wonder what that God looks like. Well, imagine being in a little town in ancient Palestine one day, and as you go down to your house of worship, 
there's a man there who tells you everything you ever wanted to know about God. But something's very different about this man from all the other rabbis and the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees that you've learned from. He not only tells you about God, he tells you that he is God. And he says that the kingdom of God has come down to you. You look at that preacher and you are staring God in the face. This man preaches to you like nothing you've ever heard before. He speaks with authority because he is the eternal God in the body of a human being. That is what it must have been like for those people who heard Jesus preach. But Jesus not only preached to the people, he healed them as well. Those who were blind or crippled or paralyzed, he made them whole. He healed their diseases. He gave them back their abilities. Jesus did this to show them that what he said about himself was true. He is the Son of God. That is, he is God himself. Many people welcomed Jesus to their towns. Some offered their homes to him. Others left their homes to follow him wherever he went. We think sometimes of that story about the little man Zacchaeus, who climbed up a tree to see Jesus and then welcomed the Savior into his house for supper. The gospel of the kingdom is that God has come to our town in the form of Jesus Christ. Right here today, Christ is making his appearance. We have gathered together in this house of worship this morning, just like those people did in ancient times. They gathered to hear and to read from God's word. And then they were surprised to see God himself, the word made flesh, come into their midst. But we should not be surprised to know that Jesus is present and he has come here to us this morning. Jesus has promised that wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he would be there with them. He told his disciples who baptized and taught his word that he would always be with them, even to the end of the age. And he also told them, whoever hears you is hearing me. We can be certain, therefore, that Jesus Christ is here with us this morning. When Jesus looked out upon those who had gathered around him, our text tells us that he had compassion on them. He loved them. He wanted to help them. But there were so very many of them. He saw that they were harassed and helpless. Jesus could see that even more than they could. But he could see the reason why they were harassed. They had enemies. There was a predator in their town. That roaring lion, the devil, whom we've mentioned before. He was everywhere, sneaking around, poking at them, jabbing them. And these poor people, they could not see this invisible enemy. He was working his hardest to discourage them, to wear them down, to drive them into the depths of despair. He was the one who had brought illness to their bodies. He was the one who put the cloud of despair over their heads. Satan was at work in those towns, just as he still works among us today. We really have the same enemies today, don't we? We have the devil, 
who preys upon us. Many people today in our society seem to think that the devil is just an imaginary character, just a way of making the uh, abstract concept of evil somewhat more concrete. But I don't think that I need to tell you that he's not only quite real, but he's active and alive and well. After all, where do people get the ideas for the, the evil that they do? The devil is whispering it into their ear or encouraging them through the world to take up something juicy that goes against God's word. Jealousy, envy, strife, hatred, lust, adultery, thievery, violence, and murder. It all comes from the same place, from Satan, the father of lies. But Jesus casts demons out from people. He makes them leave, just as his word and his actions today do the same for you and for me and for all repentant sinners who believe in him. And we have a second enemy, the world itself. I certainly don't mean that we should hate this beautiful planet that we live on, this world that God created for us to enjoy and to take care of as his stewards. Rather, it's the spirit of the world that attacks us. The trends that drive people to be self-centered and self-directed, that's what I'm talking about. The world preaches lies to us constantly, through the media, through our own experiences, and through the lives of other people, those who live in darkness and cross our paths, much like the black cats of superstition. But when we read and we know our Bibles well, it's easier for us to tell and to say what is right and what is wrong. But if we see our friends and our neighbors doing wrong, there is a chance that we too can get dragged along right into the devil's trap. Our third enemy is even closer to us. It is our own flesh, those desires that pull us down and seek to drag us away from God. The flesh is that untamed part of ourselves that feels so good when we ingratiate and cater to it. But it feels so bad when we recognize what we have done and realize the wrong in it. Yes, I'm sure you've heard it said many times that we have these three enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. But we all constantly need that reminder so that we never forget about them. They certainly won't forget and they will never stop working against us until they thoroughly soil us and damn us and keep us away from God's loving presence. But Jesus breaks into the world. He breaks into our lives, and he breaks through all of these enemies. Jesus comes to greet us. He has defeated the devil by resisting all of his temptations. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted, and yet he was without sin. That not only means that Jesus did no wrong, it also means that he missed no opportunity to do right. And all this goodness he offered up for you on the cross. By giving us faith in his sacrifice, he imputed, he transferred this goodness to us. We are forgiven. And more than this, we are now holy and righteous in the sight of God. We shine forth with all of that goodness of our Savior. And this, this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Christ having come to us and given us his righteousness.
We learn from the lesson today that Jesus looked out on all these people and that he loved them. They looked like sheep without a shepherd. There were so many of them, and there was only one of him. Only one who would die for their sins and give them his holiness. But how would they hear this good news? He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Growing up in Michigan, nothing important ever seemed to come to our little suburban town. Well, every summer at the Founders Festival, there was a little rodeo that came to town, but it wouldn't compare to a real Texas rodeo. Mostly, people just went to work, went to school, and went to church. But one time, a missionary came to our church and showed us and told us what he was doing in New Guinea. We listened to him talk about the people who were there, those who had never heard about sin and about the forgiveness of sin provided through Jesus. They lived very, very poorly in economic terms, but they welcomed the gospel of the kingdom of God, and in that, the forgiveness of sins. It was very exciting to me as a young boy to think that God was using this man to travel all the way to the far side of the world in order to bring God's salvation to people who would never know without it that God loved them and that God had come down in Jesus to die and to take away their sins and that therefore they would be welcomed into heaven on account of this. It was wonderful to think that God was using us as a little congregation to make this happen through a small part of the dollars that we put into the offering plate each week. Jesus called his disciples, and he gave them power to preach and to heal and to defeat our enemies. He sent Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, the brothers James and John, and Matthew and Thomas and all the rest. They went out. And for the rest of their lives, they traveled and they preached and they taught until the day they died, many of them dying for the very preaching and teaching of that gospel. That, that was how Jesus loved people, by having the saving gospel proclaimed to them, both from his own lips and from the mouths of those he had sent out. He told them first to go to the people of Israel and to proclaim to them the kingdom of God, the kingdom of was at hand. They didn't have to take money, for the people to whom they would preach would supply all of their needs. If those they approached would not hear and believe, they were to move on. They didn't charge admission for this gift of God, this gift of the good news to the world, but they were to depend upon the response that the Holy Spirit would generate in the hearts of their listeners. The good news was free. The good news was for all people, even for those who might reject it. Dear friends in Christ, things have not changed even in our day. The gospel of Jesus still comes to us here today. But there's still a world of people out there who either haven't heard or haven't considered the possibility that his gospel could be true. Christ has done everything possible for their salvation for the deliverance of that salvation to them. All it takes are disciples to go. There are two ways that we can respond to this. 
We can pray, as Jesus said, that God would send messengers out into the harvest, to every town and every village. Faithful pastors who will tell people what sin is, what death is, and what Jesus has done to defeat them. We can support our colleges and our seminaries where pastors are trained and where they are equipped to teach and to preach the gospel in an increasingly complex world and an always sinful world. We can support the work of missionaries who faithfully proclaim the mission of Christ in places where it is not readily heard. But we can also respond by carrying the message of the gospel ourselves. Just imagine what those people whom Jesus had healed had to say when they got back home. This morning I was blind, but now I can see. I never thought that I would walk again on my own two feet, but look at me now. Sometimes it's true, Jesus heals our bodies and our minds through modern medicine, or even through unexplainable miracles. But more importantly, Jesus has healed all of our souls. We have all received the healing of our souls. And this means that we, too, have a wonderful message to tell. Pastor Knuckles and I are the called and ordained servants of Jesus Christ. So are Pastor Newman, Pastor Pohl, Pastor Giese, Pastor Martins, and Pastor Galler. There might perhaps even be a few more among the visitors here today in this category. We may have been set aside by our Savior and given the authority to drive out the demons of your sin and heal the illness of your spiritual death. But here's the reality. We pastors will never be able to reach all of the people that you know or all of those in whom you come in contact with during your daily lives those who don't yet belong to Jesus Christ. You can reach them, however. Pray that God will give you His Holy Spirit to tell the good news of forgiveness and eternal life that He has provided to you and that you might bring in spiritual healing to yet someone else. God grant it for Jesus' sake. God grant it for their sake. In His holy name. Amen.